Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are breaking down the biggest games from Week 10 in the NFL and making picks for Week 11. Plus, the NBA teams that can continue their surprising starts. And, is a COVID outbreak in Ottawa too much for the NHL to handle? It's episode 48 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. What's going on, everybody? Here on Thursday, November 18th, 2021, the 48th episode of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I know we've had some technical difficulties getting these on YouTube, but we have fixed them and we're going to get as many video versions of this podcast as we can. So thank you, everyone, for being patient about that. Uh, the fall is really kicking in. We got a week before Thanksgiving, which, just so we're clear, we've got a special Thanksgiving episode of Let Me Speak next week. It'll be released on Thanksgiving instead of the usual Friday. So just keep in mind for next week's show. And meanwhile, this episode, I want to dedicate to two of my three sisters, Julianne and Jenna. Happy birthday. I hope you guys have tremendous days. But getting to the action on the field, let's talk about the NFL because. Last week felt like a regular week, somewhat of a regular week to get back, you know, after what was a week of upset, you know, upset city. And obviously it starts tonight as we're recording where the Pats play the Falcons. We'll get into our picks a little bit later with another special guest. But let's talk about week 10 and some of the games that really captured my attention. And we got to go all the way back to last Thursday between the Ravens and the Dolphins. I mean, 22 to 10. Miami won. I mean, what I took away from this was that for the first time in a while, Baltimore did not have a run game at all. I mean, the whole offense was shut down and they had over 300 yards of offense, but they only had 94 rushing yards to 210 pass yards. Normally you see like a 50-50 balance between the two. So that was surprising to see. Baltimore was basically like shut down and I give tons of credit to the Dolphins defense for stalling out what has been a high packed, high powered Ravens offense. I mean, forcing the two turnovers, including Xavier Howard on the fumble return, taking it into the end zone. And then to a tug of Iloa coming in for Jacoby Brissett and marching his way down the field into the end zone. I think, you know, it was just Baltimore just wasn't ready to play. That's all it was. The defense Kind of worries me a little bit, you know, if they're unable to stop Tua and with all the schedules or the the games that are coming up after this upcoming week. I mean, the game against Chicago is probably going to be the easiest schedule, but then they go, they play the Browns twice, they play the Steelers twice, and then they play the Packers, the Bengals, and the Rams. Those are all teams remaining on their schedule. Those are not easy wins. Those are not easy wins, especially with how wide open the AFC is. I mean, when you look at after the Titans, who are eight and two, 
you have 11 different teams who have at least five wins. And Baltimore really had a chance to establish themselves as a favorite because really, you know, you look at, you know, the, the Titans along with the Ravens, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Pats, the Steelers, you know, you have a ton of teams where you could say, huh, maybe they have a chance to be a good team and be a playoff contender. All Baltimore had to do was win, get themselves to seven and two, and then boom, you're you're right back into the to the thick of things. I think it's actually seven and three now that I think about it. They've had their buy already. Um, get themselves to seven and three, you think, oh, that's a team you can trust because Tennessee has their problems not having Derrick Henry. So that's the thing I see with Baltimore. It's just they had their chance and they totally blew it. So I give credit to Miami, but Baltimore just was not ready, not ready at all on that Thursday game. But speaking of a contender that failed again, Tampa Bay, we got to talk about them last Sunday, losing 29 to 19 after their bye week to Washington. And now Tom Brady has been picked off twice in two straight games. And you think this is something you shouldn't see because Tampa was coming off of the bye and they had a chance to right all the wrongs that they had in the New Orleans game. And now here they are, Tom Brady, first two drives getting picked off. You know, one of them wasn't really his fault, but still he's having to carry the load. When you look at the run game that Tampa has, you'd think they'd have a, bigger impact with Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, and Giovanni Bernard. You'd think they'd be more impactful, but the fact is over their last two games, they've gotten 71 and 53 rush yards respectively in their last two games. Now, again, similar to Miami over Baltimore, I credit Washington, especially with the game-ending drive that they had in the fourth quarter. I mean, you want to talk about a blueprint to beat a Tom Brady team? That last drive for Washington was 19 plays, 80 yards, and it took over 10 minutes that ended in a touchdown. I mean, once that touchdown was scored, there was not enough time for Tom Brady to get back on the field. So credit credit to Washington, to the WFTs, for really just making the blueprint of how you beat Tom Brady. Now, in terms of panicking, I don't think you can panic just yet. There's, there's no need to panic just yet because they are getting healthier. You know, Rob Gronkowski will be back. Antonio Brown will be back. But I think the secondary is something you really got to watch out for. I mean, you have your two starting corners, Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy Bunting. They're out, but hopefully they will be back soon. You just had Richard Sherman land on injured reserve. And even with all these injuries, they're still the 22nd ranked pass defense in the NFL. So that's really the one area you have to look out for is just the secondary. You got teams with a high powered pass offense, then they're going to run all over this Tampa secondary. I like the defensive line. Again, they brought back all their starters. Vita Vey is going to get healthy and Dominican Sue is still there. You still have that three headed monster at linebacker, but again, secondary and a run game. That's all it's going to take because Tom Brady, as great as he is, isn't going to be able to carry this offense and throw for 300, 400 yards every single game. You know, you can expect him to lead his team down the field, but you can't expect anything more than putting 50 pass attempts to 15 rushing attempts. You can't do anything like that. But a team that did do that and won their game was Kansas City. I mean, the Chiefs are looking like their old selves again, beating the Raiders 41 to 14. 
And now Kansas City leads the AFC West with a record of six and four, and it really increases their playoff chances. Now, in looking at the game, Patrick Mahomes, no mistakes. And he was back to his old tricks, you know, left-handed passes, stuff like that. But just the numbers, 35 of 50, 406 yards, five touchdowns, and this was his first game without an interception since week one against Cleveland. Now, skeptics like me are still going to worry about their defense a little bit and the fact that they don't have a run game. I mean, it was 17-14 to after the Raiders' first drive of the second half, and that's when Kansas City blew open the doors. But they still defensively allowed almost 300 yards, including 250 in the pass game. And then on offense, they had 422 pass yards, of course, with the fake punt included with Mahomes' numbers. But they only had 94 rushing yards. So I'm still not fully sold to say that, oh, this team has turned it around and they're back to their old selves. Because I think the next game, this upcoming Sunday, is really going to tell us if Kansas City is back to their old winning ways. Because the Cowboys, as much as people want to rip on them, They make teams pay for the mistakes that teams like Kansas City has done for a long time this year. I mean, Dallas is tied for second team interceptions. You have Trayvon Diggs, who basically picks off the ball every single game. They're tied for fourth in total takeaways. And you have to remember, even with that great game, Kansas City is still the third worst team in turnover differential at minus eight. You know who they're above the Jaguars and the Jets? So the fact that Kansas City is still in that conversation makes you think, okay, if they beat a good team, because I think the week before you had Jordan Love, but you still only scored 13 points. This week was an in-division game. It almost seems like over recent years that the Chiefs always have the Raiders number. So I'm not ready to crown them as back yet, but we'll have to see this Sunday. We'll see what happens when they're at home and they have to play the Dallas Cowboys. And then lastly for week 10, I want to talk about the Rams in that Monday night game. I mean, they just don't look like the same team. This was my Super Bowl pick in terms of the team from the NFC getting to the Super Bowl. You know, if you remember before the season even started, I said Kansas City over LA. But they just don't look like the same team. 31 to 10, losing to San Francisco. And Matt Stafford just looks like the same old guy. I mean, similar to Brady. Four interceptions in his last two games. Two straight pick sixes that L.A. has allowed. And not only that, but this defense should be much better with all of the weapons that they have. Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey. I mean, they're allowing over 150 rush yards to San Francisco. Aaron Donald only has one sack in the last two games. Now, they do get a bye. That's that's the good thing for L.A. is that they've got a bye and they get a week to try and correct all this. But Matt Stafford has got to get those Detroit demons out of him. This is not the same Detroit team, okay? This Rams team is so much better. I understand they lost Robert Woods, but you just put Beckham, their new acquisition, Odell Beckham, in that spot, and I think he will be able to get get with it. You know, so you have Beckham, you have Cooper Cup, you have Van Jefferson, Tyler Higby at tight end. This is a great offensive line. But again, Stafford has to limit the mistakes. That's what plagued him in Detroit. That's what's plaguing him now. So that's all he's got to do is limit those mistakes. But luckily, the Rams are not involved in our picks for this upcoming week because they do have a bye chance to right the ship, as I mentioned. But 
We'll see what happens with our other teams. As now we send it to a segment we recorded just yesterday with a very special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the NFL Week 11 edition of Pick'em. So it's time once again for our NFL Pick'em segment. We're diving into Week 11, and we've got another special guest, another fellow Westfield State alum who's also got a new book coming out this Friday. By the time this podcast airs, his book, Under the Stars, Across the Sea, will be available everywhere. Everyone, say hello to Sam Fortilla. Sam, thanks for taking the time and joining us here. Uh, thanks for having me here. Honestly, it's, a, it's an honor. So uh, for those of you that follow you on Instagram, you've been working on this book since, uh, I believe, two years. 2019, I believe, was when you started writing this book. Talk about sort of the inspiration for Under the Stars and Across the Sea. Where did you get the inspiration for this book? Um, the inspiration for this uh, came from reading a lot of like old myths. And I decided to, I guess, try my hand at making it. They're like the way the old Greeks and Egyptians would use gods and mythical beings to explain why natural phenomenon uh, were happening. I just felt like maybe we need a, a new version of that. So I decided to just write one on my own. And, and that's how it came to be. I drew a picture one day and said, this is the inspiration. And I just ran with it. Yeah, definitely from an image, basically. I've, I've seen the images of the cover. The cover looks phenomenal. I know you gave your shout out, but that, that cover does look incredible. Um, what can people uh, expect and look forward to uh, if they purchase and read this? I, I'd say um, what you can look forward to is just going for like an easy time. It, it didn't read, uh, I didn't write it to be like the super complex thing. It's nothing deep. I just wrote it to, as like a, just a fun little series of stories, a fun little couple shorts and just to really just enjoy it as like a, it's like a coffee book, really. You sit down, you just read it as you relax on your day, really. Yeah. Nothing better than relaxing with a good book in your hand. So we got to get right into these NFL picks. How are you feeling heading into this week? You know, about these picks, are you nervous at all? No, me nervous. Nervous has never been. <laughs> There's nothing but absolute confidence. I'm a little bit of a, a fortune teller. I can tell you which one what's what's going down. All right. Well, we'll see what happens first. Before we get into the picks, we look at our standing so far. Our first guest on this pick segment, 13 and three, still Johnny Mansaridis leading the way, followed by our good friend Ben May at 10 and three. So we'll see how you can do. You ready to make some picks? I'm about to make all the picks. It's going to be perfect score. Oh, perfect. all right. Well, let's see what happens as we start off with the Thursday night game between the Pats and the Falcons. The Lincoln winning four straight. Honestly, some are looking at them as Super Bowl contenders. They head to Atlanta on a short week. Falcons still have their playoff expectations. What do you see in the Thursday night game between New England and Atlanta? I'm seeing another, uh, another game uh, win for the Pats. You know, New England. Of course. Gotta, gotta be. You know, your hometown, you're in uh, the west part of Massachusetts, but you still got to go for the hometown Pats. I feel like I'd be a traitor if I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone this week is going to talk about 28 to three between these two teams, but two completely different teams. I think New England should win this one. You'll hear more about it when we get into our Let's Get Local segment later on the show. But I think New England should win this game. So then we transition from the Thursday night game to the Sunday slate. We start off with the Colts and the Bills. Indy at five and five. Buffalo six and three. Bills looking like their old selves after their win last week against the Jets. 
Here come the Colts at five and five, still with playoff aspirations between Indianapolis and Buffalo. Who you got? I got I got the I got the Bills going on for that one. Colts and Bills got the Bills here. Mm, that's that's a really good that's a good pick because I think this is going to be a really close game, really close between these two. Buffalo they've got some big matchups coming up in division against New England twice. They're still with the AFC being wide open as it is. It they have to establish themselves or at least try to as one of the top teams in the AFC. So I agree with you that I'll go with the Bills on that one. As we move now to Baltimore and Chicago, the Ravens at six and three and the Bears at three and six. Do the Ravens bounce back after a tough loss last Thursday against Miami against Chicago? I I believe there'll be a a comeback here for the Ravens. They've got that. They can pull this one out. Yeah, I think so, too. I definitely agree that Baltimore, you know, that was just that was a sloppy game. Very sloppy game in a short week between Miami. They've got a nice, easy test, even though they have to go on the road (laughs) to Chicago. I think Baltimore should bounce back and win that game. And now probably the most intriguing non-competitive matchup, I'd say, are the Lions and the Cleveland Browns. The Lions did not lose last week, but they still are winless. 0-8-1 and against Cleveland at 5-5. and Do the Lions get their first win of the year against the Browns? I, I do not foresee that one happening. I, I've got to go with the Browns <laughs> on that one. Uh, I feel I know I feel so bad picking Cleveland, but it's like Detroit's just a mess. Absolute mess. You know, they are Mm -hmm. some competitive guys, but I think it's going to be close, though. Remember, the Browns absolutely blew the door open against New England and we'll we'll see what their mindset is at. We'll see if Baker Mayfield can bounce back and if that uh, D line can swarm against that Lions offense as we move to the AFC South matchup between the Texans and the Titans. This one feels like a no-brainer. Tennessee at eight and two, Houston at one and eight. Well, what do you see with that one, Sam? Is that going to be an easy win for Tennessee, or does Houston make it a game? Uh, uh, normally, I would say my yee boys, but I've got to go with the Titans <laughs> on that one. <laughs> Your yee haws, yee, and you mm-hmm. cannot stress it enough. Ha. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I agree. I agree. This Texans team is probably the second biggest mess in the NFL. Should be an easy game for the Titans. I'm very surprised to see them be succeeding as they are without the best back in the league, Derrick Henry. So then we move on to the NFC North matchup between the Packers and the Vikings. Green Bay at eight and two, Minnesota four and five. What do you see between the Packers and the Vikings? Does Aaron Rodgers shake off a little bit of the rusty saw last week? Uh, I, I for this one, I'm going with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I, I remember them as a, a, a favorite for my brother as a kid. So I, I'd be pre- uh, betraying him if I didn't go Green Bay on that one. Yeah, I think I think it's an easy matchup on this one for Green Bay. Obviously, last week, Aaron Rodgers just looked a little rusty, you know, even going back as, you know, when you were a kid and I was a kid, Aaron Rodgers was just coming around and now he's a superstar. Um, I think, you know, Again, he just got cleared from protocols on that Saturday to play in the game the next day. So there was a little bit of rust after not being allowed to do anything with the team for 10 days. So I think he shook off that rust. He still won against Seattle, which was very impressive in the snow at Lambeau Field. I think this should be an easy win against Minnesota. So then we go to the AFC. Yeah, we go to the AFC East between Miami and New York. Dolphins at three and seven have won two straight now after dropping seven in a row. And they get the dismal Jets where Joe Flacco is back in the starting role this time for New York. What do you see, Sam, between Miami and the New York Jets? I, I, I want the Jets on this one. Ooh, going for the upset. 
going for the upset. I like I like that pick, except I don't think it's gonna happen. <laughs> I don't think it's gonna happen. I think Miami's just rolling too much. The Jets kind of are just a mess right now. They've had like three different quarterbacks now starting if Flacco starts on mm-hmm. Sunday. And they've just been, I think they've allowed like over 40 points, like four straight weeks. I don't think that's happened ever. So I don't think they can do that against this Miami team, especially with uh, Tua Tagovailoa back at the quarterback position. So then we go to the Saints and the Eagles. New Orleans at five and four, Philly at four and six. Philly's been looking good, beating the Chargers last week, or close against the Chargers, I should say. The Saints dropping to the Falcons last week. What do you think between New Orleans and Philadelphia? Uh, I'm thinking the Saints on this one. Uh, Saints come marching in. Yeah, I think they are. They might come marching in if they get Alvin Kamara back. That's going to be the biggest thing is we won't know his status until later on. They did say, He did return to practice this week, so it could be uh, just a one-week absence. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I think the upset is going to be Philadelphia at home. They're kind of an underrated offense. It's really defensively they've just been struggling. And New Orleans, they just have too many questions. I mean, Trevor Simeon might not be the quarterback. You know, they did only lose by two to Tennessee last week, and Tennessee is the best team in football right now. So we'll have to see what kind of fight New Orleans has when they go to the link in Philadelphia. As then we go to Washington and Carolina. Washington off of a huge win against Tom Brady and the Bucks. Carolina, the reports are coming out that Cam Newton is going to be starting for them. At five and five, do they get above 500 or does Washington make it two in a row? I, I went with the Panthers in this one. Just going to jump on that one there, too. All right. That's that's a good one, I think, because if we see the Cam Newton that we saw last week, remember, first play running, first play passing, both were touchdowns. Total lopsided mm-hmm. effort against Arizona. Who knows if this is a career resurgence for Cam Newton? I don't think it is, but I do think they can win this game against Washington. They lost uh, Washington. That is their best player, Chase Young, to a torn ACL last week. So it's going to be really tough for them to bounce back defensively. And we'll just see if Carolina can make a playoff push. I feel like they've got the the talent to do that. I think defensively they, they have the talent. And then we'll just see about the quarterback position. If it'll be Newton, P.J. Walker, Sam Darnold, we have no idea what that'll be like. But I think for this week, Carolina is a safe bet to make. So then we go to San Francisco and Jacksonville. San Fran, four and five, big win against the Rams uh, last Monday night. And then the Jaguars at two and seven. What do you think between the 49ers and the Jaguars this Sunday? Oh, for sure, 49ers. No question. Yeah, I think for sure is because they're playing Jacksonville. I think that's the biggest reason why, obviously, because <laughs> because Jacksonville is Jacksonville. Um, I mean, they did beat the Bills a few weeks ago they did beat them so don't count them out too much but i think the 49ers are just too talented even with all the controversy about the quarterback and jimmy garoppolo it's going to be too much for jacksonville to handle i'll take the 49ers and i'll agree with you on that one so then we go to the four o'clock slate of games very interesting one here both teams at five and four cincinnati and las vegas raiders have been going through so much as i mentioned last week with starting with the head coach john gruden then with the Henry Ruggs situation, then they had to release another first-round pick from 2020. It just feels like a mess, Sam, that the Raiders can't get themselves out of. Can they salvage a win at home, though, against the Bengals? I'm, I'm going to say the Raiders going to do it. They got that one. Oh, all right. That that would be a huge bounce back. I mean, you remember uh, a couple of weeks ago that when Gruden 
was finally out of the job. They started bouncing back. And then the past couple of weeks after the Henry Ruggs situation, they've just looked totally flat. And they looked flat against Kansas City. This could be a bounce back, but I just think Cincinnati coming off of a bye is going to be too much for the Raiders to handle. And plus, offensively, they're just not really in sync, as you saw against Kansas City. But, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a competitive game. I definitely agree with that. It'll be competitive, but the Bengals will take this one strongly because of the bye that they were just on. And then we go to probably the game of the week, probably two Super Bowl contenders, Dallas and Kansas City. Cowboys answering the bell after putting up a dud against Denver, put up 46, or I'm sorry, 43 points against Atlanta. And Kansas City looks like them all, their old selves, 41-14 over the Raiders last week. This could be a Super Bowl preview, Sam. Who do you see between the Cowboys and the Chiefs? I'm going to go Cowboys. I'm going to go Cowboys on that one. Oh, that – Honestly, that's a really good pick, and I think I'm going to agree with you there because Kansas City, yeah, they look great, but this was a division rival. They always handle the Raiders, it seems like. And plus, the Cowboys just have a ton of momentum. I mean, 43 points and only allowing three to Atlanta. I understand Atlanta's got problems, but still seeing them put up that many points. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on your side with that one. I think the Cowboys are going to go into Kansas City. I think they're going to upset the Chiefs and knock them back down a peg. You know, the Chiefs are leading the AFC West, but it's still very, very tight in that division. So that's, I think, was the success for last, for last week for Kansas City. And I think Dallas bounces back. And I think they make a statement. This is a statement game for them that they will pull off the victory on this one. So then we go to a nice NFC West matchup between the Cardinals and the Seahawks. Russell Wilson returning last week in Green Bay put up zero points. Meanwhile, Arizona got blown out. But keep in mind, they didn't have their starting quarterback and their starting wide receiver. Cardinals at eight and two, Seahawks at three and six. What do you see between those two? It's another dominating win for the Cardinals. Got that one there. Yeah, that's that's pretty, you know, I guess it depends on if Kyler Murray plays. It, it's sounding like he has practiced this week and there's probably the best chance in the past couple of weeks that he does play. I think, you know, it, it's hard because we're recording on a Wednesday and we probably won't know until Sunday about who's in, who's out. Um, it, I think to me, it depends on if Kyler Murray plays, if he plays, he's in, if he doesn't, the Seahawks win. I think for right now though, I agree that Arizona will go into Seattle and I think they'll pull off the upset. This the Seattle team. Isn't the, the team of the past. It's not those Super Bowl teams. Russell Wilson can do all he, all he can, but it's, it's not going to be enough. I think Arizona is just too good injuries or not. So then we go to the Sunday night game between the Steelers and the Chargers Steelers coming off a tie last week. They're now 5-3-1 and one in a very tight AFC North. And then you've got the Chargers, who many thought to be the best team in the AFC. Now they've dropped a couple of games. They lost last week to Minnesota. They're in L.A., Sam, between the Steelers and the Chargers. Who do you got? I got the Steelers for that one. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be another Steelers win. Yeah, I think this is definitely huge for, for Pittsburgh. This is a statement to show that um and Roethlisberger might be old but they're still contenders with the defense that they have especially with TJ Watt leading the charge and right now my defensive player of the year I think it's going to be really tough this Chargers team is still young but I feel like Pittsburgh they're they're waiting to put up a dud and I think it comes this week I think the Chargers bounce back they're still a young team so there's still a lot to learn you know even if they do lose this game but I think at home is going to be the big difference for the Chargers. I think they pull off the win on this one. And then last week, we, we go to the Monday night game between the New York football giants 
and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady's now lost two straight games. They <laughs> lost, and then they went on their bye, and they lost again to Washington last week. They're now 6-3. and three. Do they get a break against the Giants, though? I see them getting a break against the Giants. It'll, it'll be, a, it'll be a, a, a morale boost. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, you have to look at also, uh, they have a lot of injuries on that offense. No Gronk, no Antonio Brown, and they just came out flat against Washington. Tom Brady won't let that happen again. At home is going to be absolutely key, and I think there's, there's a fire in that Tampa team. Defensively, if they can stop the offense that the Giants have and force some turnovers, it should be a win for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that does it for our picks, Sam. We wish you nothing but luck uh, before we get out of here. Uh, again, your book under the stars across the sea will be available Friday. This Friday is when we release the podcast episode. Uh, one last promotion for your book under the stars across the sun. What can people again expect from this, what you call a coffee table kind of read? Uh, just, just a good time. And just, I get uh, hopefully interesting stories that you'll all enjoy. All right. Well, definitely looking forward to it again. It's Under the Stars, Across the Sea, book by Sam Fortillas, out everywhere Friday. Sam Fortillas, thank you again for joining the show and good luck on your picks for NFL Week 11. Ah, thank you so much. Thank you. Special thanks again to Sam Fortillas. Again, check out his book. It is amazing. As now we move to the hardwood, talking about the NBA. It's been a couple, about a month, you know, a little bit less than that. We've got about 15 or 16 games for each team off of their slate. And I got to tell you, these standings are a little bit surprising to me. Not so much in the Western Conference. I mean, the Warriors, yeah, I expected them to bounce back. Phoenix has won. 10 straight Lakers having their problems, but it's the Eastern conference. That's really blown me away. I mean, look at some of these, these records from these teams. You have the Washington wizards tied with the best record in the conference at 10 and four. Okay. You have the Charlotte Hornets and the Cleveland Cavaliers at nine and seven. You have the defending champs in Milwaukee at seven and eight. And then the runner ups from the East last year, the Atlanta Hawks at seven and nine. Okay, so that's just totally surprising. And as we have seen in years past, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. I mean, look at last year when the season started in January and I had Johnny Mansaridis on. We were praising the Magic for being the top team in the Eastern Conference, and look what happened to them. They went free-falling. Luckily, they're back down to earth at 4-11. and 11. But it's those three teams I want to talk about, the Wizards, the Hornets, and the Cavaliers – and I was kind of thinking, you know, which team can really sustain that success? Not so much, you know, maybe atop the conference, but maybe be a, a playoff team. And I want to break it down, you know, team by team, starting with the Wizards, because I mean, 10 and four, that's a very surprising start. I think it's been the best start for Bradley Beal in his entire career. And I think part of that is that he's been having to take on the load from Washington and he doesn't have any other weapons behind him. You know, he didn't really have, you know, he had John wall, but it was hard to, to work with him. He had Russell Westbrook again, different kind of play styles. Those are players where they need the balls in their hands, similar to Bradley Beal, but Bradley Beal is only averaging about 23 and a half points per game. 
so far in the NBA. You remember last year, he averaged 30. And I think it's all the weapons around him. You remember what Washington got back in that Russell Westbrook deal. Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And not only that, but they signed Spencer Dinwiddie, who's basically had a year to rehab his torn ACL. So there are weapons around Bradley Beal, you know, outside of, you know, just Davis Bertans. And uh, just look, looking at all the guys that are on that team, you know, Montrez Harrell, almost 18 points a game, but he's only started twice. You know, Spencer Didwitty's almost 16 points a game. Kyle Kuzma's 14 points a game. KCP's nine points per game. There's now an offense behind Bradley Beal, which is very one of, one of the reasons why Washington has done so well. I mean, at 10 and four, not only that, but you got to look at, you know, the schedule also for, for Washington. It's been not so much, you know, hard teams. Obviously they lost uh, last night, but there's still a very impressive team, you know, lose even though they did lose to Charlotte. I think this is going to be a much better team than people think. You got to remember, Right near the end of the year, even with Russell Westbrook doing Russell Westbrook stuff, this team was still the very last team to make the playoffs, even though they were a sub-500 team. Even though they were a sub-500 team, a lot of people were saying if they can make the playoffs, which they did, and they even tested the 76ers a little bit, you know, that was a team with Beal and Westbrook. Now they have offensive weapons galore. You have Harold down low. Kuzma can shoot from outside. KCP can shoot from outside. Bradley Beal's finally got some help, and he doesn't have to take the heavy offensive load. That is huge for this Washington team. And I think they can avoid the play. I think, you know, maybe they're not going to be at the top of the conference right now because we're starting to see Brooklyn finally get their, their mojo. But I think this is a Washington team that can make the playoffs. I don't think there's going to be any kind of drop-off unless they come down with some catastrophic injury. But that's what I'm seeing with Washington, how well they've played. Moving on, though, to Charlotte, the team that beat them last night. This was a Charlotte team, again, had high expectations, but now they've finally, first off, Miles Bridges, best season of his career, best season of his career at 9-7, and seven, okay, 21 points a game this is that's a future star in this league (laughs) but then you have a healthy gordon hayward you have Lamelo ball who's got one year under his belt terry rozier kelly Oubre. i think the only thing that's going to stop charlotte is if everyone doesn't wants a bigger role you know you have a guy like miles bridges who's the scorer Lamelo ball is the distributor gordon hayward's the veteran you know if you have a guy like terry rozier saying oh i want more offense i want more offense or you have kelly uber saying i want to be starting i want to be starting i want to be starting that's going to be basically you know if as long as they don't shoot themselves in the foot and if you think about it last year if Lamelo ball and gordon hayward were healthy maybe they do they do better than the play-in scenario or at least not have to go through the way of uh indiana in that play-in game But so far, I mean, they're the second best offense in terms of points per game in the NBA. I think this is a team, again, they can sustain that success. I really think they can because this is a great, it's a great lineup. And the only thing that they were lacking last year was a center, you know, a big blocking center. And 
they still don't quite have that. I mean, Mason Plumley, yeah, he's okay. You know, he's averaging eight eight rebounds a game. But in terms of defensively, I don't know if you can trust Mason Plumley to be your center. And even so, you know, putting PJ Washington in that same scenario, I don't think he's the guy either. So if they get a big protecting center, then I will say that the Charlotte team is someone to be reckoned with. But for right now, I think they can sustain success, maybe not a high level of success, but at least get into the playoffs. That's what I think. Because LaMelo Ball, I think he's one of the 15 best point guards in this game right now. His size, the way he distributes the ball. I mean, come on, the dude averages almost a triple-double. 19 points, 7 rebounds, 7.5 assists. So, you know, props to LaMelo for that. And then obviously Gordon Hayward not having to be the, the central point on offense. This is a Charlotte team. You know, look out for them once we get to February, March. They could make some noise. I don't think they're going to, you know, be top four in the conference, but they will definitely make the playoffs again. You can mark me, mark my words for that one. But then lastly, our old friends, the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is a different, though, Cavaliers team. You know, they've just been building and building and building through the draft. Obviously, it's going to get tougher in the future because they don't have Evan Mobley. But remember, this was a team that, to me, to me, has a ton of size, a ton of size, which helps on defense. I mean, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Larry Markinen, Kevin Love, you know, they even got Taco Fall out there. Saw him in the game against Celtics. I mean, this is a team that is built to have a great uh, defense. And so far, it's working out. They're the second best defensive team, tied for second best in terms of opponents' points per game. Now, again, Cleveland had the same start last year, and look what happened. They ended up back in the lottery. So I'm not holding my breath on this one. You know, I think Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Ricky Rubio, those are your three leading scorers right now. But you essentially, your third leading scorer is off the bench. Not sure if that's something you really want to, you know, put money on. And again, you'd, you'd think, you know, with as many draft picks as Cleveland has had, you'd say, oh, they're still young. They're still learning. This is Colin Sexton. I want to say he got drafted in 2018. This is year four for him. This is year four. You'd think he'd figure it out by now. Darius Garland, this is year three for him. Okay, he's still... They're leading their offense right now, but it's about taking that next step. You know, we saw it with the Knicks team last year, the New York Knicks. You know, you don't have to have a great offense as long as you play steady defense. Now, the schedule does get pretty hard for Cleveland. Obviously, tonight they host Golden State. They did split the series against the Celtics, which was salvaging, and then they lost to Brooklyn last night. But just these are the next three games, Golden State, Brooklyn, Phoenix. Okay, and then after Orlando, you get Dallas, Miami, Washington, Utah, Milwaukee, Chicago consecutively. All right. So I'm saying Cleveland cannot sustain this this success. Can they be a playoff team? I think they could be a play in team because I think, you know, I don't expect the Raptors to stay in the 10th spot. I don't expect, you know, Philly still got their problems. I think Cleveland, they're going to contend for that play in spot. I'll tell you that right now. They're going to contend, but I do not know if they're going to make it. That's going to be the biggest thing for me because, again, these are the Cleveland Cavaliers, okay? Without LeBron James, this team is nothing. But we'll have to see. You know, it's still November. 
there's still plenty of basketball left to be played on the hardwood. Up next is the NHL, and the NHL has got their first COVID outbreak of the season. And that's something they've really got to adjust. I mean, the Ottawa Senators are in a mess when it comes to COVID-19. And it makes you think, can the NHL really sustain a full 82-game season and head into the playoffs without any kind of COVID pause or COVID outbreak going on? It's a very interesting question, but I think it's the perfect subject for this week's edition of our segment known as Hot Takes. So looking at it again for the Ottawa Senators, they've got 10 players and an assistant coach in protocols right now, and they have not played since Sunday. Their next three games have been postponed, which means their next game they would be eligible to play is this upcoming Monday. Now, this is the first postponement of games in the NHL, but other teams are going through so much. I mean, 16 different teams have had players miss games or coaches miss games. The Sharks, San Jose Sharks have had seven players and their head coach, Bob Boner, in protocols. And the Pittsburgh Penguins have had their superstar, Sidney Crosby, and three other players, along with their head coach, Mike Sullivan, in protocols as well. Now, it's just confusing to see like how this sort of happens. I mean, the NHL only had, according to Gary Bettman, four unvaccinated players at the start of the season in October. Now, there is an unlikely scenario that Bettman might have lied about the vaccination status, that more players are unvaccinated, but you have to also think that the league has stricter protocols, you know, compared to the NFL or the NBA and stuff like that. They've got stricter protocols about close contacts and testing positive. Get a minimum of 10 days isolated. Unvaccinated players can't travel to Canada. But it's just, it makes you wonder where this outbreak comes from. And obviously that's like a a science question you have to ask on like a science podcast or, or something like that, that knows more about the virus than just a lowly sports fan. But with what the NHL is going through right now, I mean, the the good thing is this is happening in November, that this is November. The season still has months and months to play out, but you have to remember there's still the Olympics coming up there. There will be a two week break for that. You know, you have the holidays like, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas we're seeing in the NFL that protocols are going to get more strict for the holidays. So it's, you're just wondering, where where's all this coming from? Where are all these coming from? And really, just, just in my eyes, you know, this is, the, this is the NHL being, you know, like a lockdown team. You know, they're, they're the, with, with like the NBA, you know, once you're off the floor, you can put on a mask or something like that. You can't do that in the NHL. Once you're off, you might be going back on in the next two minutes or so. So... I mean, you can do everything you want. Obviously, you can't control the virus. You can't control COVID-19 at all. But what you have to deal with is just as long as people are following protocols, because, I mean, you wouldn't have to see so many games missed 
if all these players are vaccinated. You, you can travel to Canada. And what's funny about the Ottawa situation is like Canada was so locked down in terms of their restrictions. In terms of their restrictions, basically no one could go into Canada basically since the world was declared a pandemic and until, you know, months had passed after the vaccine had came out. So it, it makes you wonder, like, what is going on up there in Ottawa? What is going on in Ottawa? But the good thing is, like, this is not the only team that's going through it. As I mentioned, San Jose, Pittsburgh, you know, Detroit, all of these teams have gone through any kind of, not necessarily an outbreak, but in terms of, like, controlling their locker room. I mean, this this is the first postponement of any kind of games. And, you know, the good thing is, it's really been the first postponement since, you know, the MLB back in August when the Yankees had their COVID situation. But again, these are vaccinated players who are either testing positive or being close contacts. You know, it's not something to panic over if you're the NHL because, you know, more you're you have more people getting booster shots you know more people are getting natural immunity it's not something to worry about just yet but if the cases continue to climb and climb and climb throughout the nhl that's why you know you look at the nfl aaron Rodgers tested positive ben roethlisberger joey bosa you're seeing all these positive cases all of a sudden obviously it's the nature of the northern hemisphere with it being colder now which means scientifically viruses are more uh, prompt to, to spring up. But again, the NHL can't control this. They've been controlling it for two years now, two years. They had a whole bubble in Canada where there were zero, zero positive cases. You had the NBA in a bubble, zero positive cases. And with all the restrictions that they had, this is the first time in probably a year and a half that people are, able to go into Canada. So there are these kind of things that are going to happen, but it's a matter of Gary Bettman and the NHL being able to control it and not let things get out of hand. And Bettman's been getting a ton of heat with the Blackhawks situation. You know, he's getting a ton of heat like that. He doesn't need a situation like a COVID-19 outbreak to make things worse. But the good thing is it's only November. The playoffs don't start till the spring. There's still plenty of time for the National Hockey League to get this thing under control. Next, as usual, it's time for our Let's Get Local segment. We look at all of our Boston teams, and you might have to say this week it's Boston slash Pittsburgh because the Fenway Sports Group and John Henry just made a very questionable purchase, if I got to say. You know, Fenway Sports Group is going to purchase the Pittsburgh Penguins from the NHL. Now, this is something I've really, you know, it's taken me a few days to sort of digest, and this was the biggest question that I got. If John Henry owns the Boston Red Sox and he has said that this team should be under the luxury tax, you know, we saw Bloom do that all year long for the Red Sox, but he's able to spend millions to buy a rival NHL team. This isn't like, you know, the Coyotes 
or the San Jose Sharks or the LA Kings or any team that isn't, you know, in a rivalry. You know, this is the Penguins. This is an Eastern rival, you know. I guess the worst would be like if you purchase the Canadians and the Maple Leafs or something like that. But it just rubs me the wrong way, even though it makes sense sort of from a business standpoint. Because you got to remember, Fenway Sports Group owns so much. I mean, LeBron James has a stake. They have Roush Fenway Racing. I mean, does John Henry even care about the Red Sox? You know, he's looking at all these fans. You know, it it might not be in the, in the long term. You know, it's not something to like totally freak out about. But just it, it something rubs me the wrong way about this. And it really makes me wonder how invested John Henry is to really the first team that he did purchase. And that was the Boston Red Sox, because this was a Red Sox team that was one series away from the World Series. And if he's telling, you know, lower management like Heim Bloom or whatever, we're not going to break the bank for the originator of the Fenway Sports Group. Does that mean, you know? more time is going to be invested in NASCAR with the Roush Fenway racing is more going to be invested in the penguins. You know, if Sidney Crosby wins the, the MVP for the NHL or is John Henry going to be like, that's the greatest player in Fenway sports group history. You know, no, the, the energy has to be towards the Red Sox. I don't understand this purchase. Hopefully we'll get more answers from John Henry and the Fenway sports group about this, because honestly, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not a big fan of Henry going and purchasing other teams. You know, maybe if he purchased some sort of local team or whatever, it would make sense, but not the Pittsburgh Penguins, a team you have to, you'd probably guarantee the Bruins have to jump over to get to the Stanley cup. But you know, I'm I'm sure answers will come in due time. Answers will come in due time for John Henry because he's going to face a lot of criticism. You know, he already has. He already has been facing criticism for that. For a team that's not getting criticism is the Patriots and getting back to on the field stuff. What an impressive win against the Cleveland Browns. I mean, now they're sixth in the AFC playoff picture. They've won four straight after starting two and four. I mean, just looking at this game, by itself. I think the question was really about how is this offense going to do against a really tough defense, especially that defensive line when you have Miles Garrett, who's a contending defensive player of the year right now. I think the offensive line was the MVP of that game. Miles Garrett only had one sack and I was really early on, but other than that, they did absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Isaiah win Trent Brown being back, you know, Those were huge, huge contributions. And not only that, but just look at the offense with that kind of protection. You know, Mac Jones was 19 of 23. He only threw four incompletions, okay? Almost 200 yards and three touchdowns, okay? This was an offense that scored over 450 yards of offense, over 180 on the ground, and just from top to bottom, they were incredible on offense. I mean, that 99-yard drive, which was very surprising to hear that this was the first time they did it in 10 years. I mean, Kendrick Bourne, what a touchdown catch in traffic. The team was seven of nine on third down. I mean, offense was incredible, absolutely incredible. And defensively, Cleveland didn't do anything. You know, they had that opening drive touchdown, and all of a sudden, boom, you're outscored 45 to nothing, 45 to nothing. They could not do anything on offense 
They were sacked Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum five times. Kyle Duggar with the interception, 217 yards allowed. Okay. They made Baker Mayfield look as good as Zach Wilson or as Sam Darnold. Okay. He was 11 of 21, 73 yards, a touchdown and a pick before he had to leave after, which I just found out was a knee to knee collision with Matt Judon. So nothing to freak out about if you're the Browns about Baker Mayfield, but you know, part of it could be Cleveland's not the same team, but this is still, regardless of what kind of record they have, Cleveland is a tough, tough team to go against. So props to the Pats for picking up the win and especially Jacoby Myers finally getting that touchdown. That was a feel good moment, a feel good moment, but we got to turn to Thursday night uh, tonight as we're recording when they go to Atlanta to take on the Atlanta Falcons. Now the game will have already uh, been completed by the time this podcast airs, but this is going to be a disappointment if they lose, if they lose in Atlanta. Okay. Just remember what Atlanta did a couple days ago. They lost 43 to three to Dallas. Okay. And you also got to keep in mind, they don't have maybe their two best players on offense. Calvin Ridley obviously is out with personal reasons and Cordell Paris Patterson has an ankle. Now he's, he is a game time decision that we're just finding out, but this is all going to be about how is the defense going to beat them? How is the defense going to shut down Atlanta? Because Matt Ryan, I don't care what he's gone through. He's still Matt Ryan. He's still a former MVP. Okay. You still have Kyle Pitts, who might be the next great tight end this league has. Those are the two guys you really got to shut down. And you got to make them run the football. You got to make them run the football. This is the fourth worst rushing offense in the NFL Atlanta is. So defensively, again, it's not so much making the quarterback beat you. It's making the running backs beat you. So you got to take away the pass game. You know, I expect, you know, JC Jackson's going to be mixing up his coverage. You know, the safeties are probably going to have to get more involved with shutting down pits because you shut down pits, you shut down Patterson. There's really no other player you could say that are, you know, ultimate game changers for this Atlanta team. But you got to remember Atlanta's still a fighter. They are still a fighter because they still have playoff chances. They're four and five. And if they win this game, their season's not over just yet. But if they do lose the game, the season will be over. So they're going to come out firing offensively. This is a middle of the pack defense that you're going against. I think Mac Jones can't be afraid to take the big shots. You know, he's going to have to probably air it down the field you know, to Kendrick Bourne, to Aguilar. He's probably going to have to take those chances. But again, red zone and taking those big shots are going to be the biggest thing. Again, this is a middle-of-the-pack defense. We don't know if Damian Harris is going to be back or not, but you do know you've got plenty of options at the running back position with Brandon Bolden getting involved in the past game, Ramondre Stevenson having a amazing game against Cleveland. I think this should be... An easy win should be is the very key word, but moving on to the Celtics losing again and losing a double digit lead. Okay. They get smoked by Atlanta last night, last Friday, no Saturday, they blow a 19 point lead against Cleveland. Okay. Now let's just keep this in mind. As I mentioned before, Cleveland's a good team. They're playing well. The Celtics team coming off. It was the second of a back to back where they had to go to overtime against Milwaukee. But when you're up 19, this 
That's the second time. You know, some teams don't even do it once, but they've done it twice. Okay. I don't know if Jalen Brown is going to be the answer, but if he comes back, this team better be much better because the fact is Dennis Schroeder, love the guy, love the player, but he's not your, your offense. He's not your offense. Jason Tatum is your offense. And yes, he put up big numbers last night, but come on. Where is Tatum? Where is the ultimate shot maker that we've seen since his rookie year? Okay. That's ultimately all I got to say about the Celtics team is consistency, consistency, consistency. Okay. You're getting it from guys like Richardson, from Al Horford, from Schroeder. Even Grant Williams had a great game last night. But again, Grant Williams as your second leading scorer in that game is not going to work. Not going to work at all. So the Celtics team has got to pick it up. Again, still early on. Only 15 games have been played, but they're seven and eight. They have to find their groove. And maybe when Jalen Brown comes back, they will find their groove because Marcus Smart is now a distributor, which I absolutely love. I love him racking up the assists. But Jason Tatum has got to find a consistent groove on both ends of the floor, not just scoring, but defensively as well. We'll have to see what happens, though, because their next game is against the Lakers, and it might be the return of LeBron James. So, We'll see how the Celtics are able to respond. But that'll really be an interesting game. Two teams that are struggling, who's going to want it more? Is essentially who's going to win that game on Friday? Who wants it more? But in off-the-field situations, let's talk about the Red Sox. They've already lost a big piece. Eduardo Rodriguez is moving on. He's going to Detroit, five years, $77 million. Now, if you're doing the math, that's roughly $15 million per year. Now. I'm not sure exactly what Detroit, you know, what what allowed Erod, you know, why Erod wanted to leave and go to Detroit. Because obviously the qualifying offer was much more than 15 million. It was, I think I said last week it was 18 million. And there were talks about possibly going long term. But I think for Rodriguez, I, I'm looking at it like this. I think, you know, when you look at the pitching staff that Detroit has, he's gonna be the number one starter, despite having an ERA of four plus last year for the Sox. He's going to be the number one starter. He might've been looking for a long-term deal or a possible change of scenery. Cause this guy was here since 2015. That's when he made his mark with the Red Sox. He was key in a world championship in 2018, 20 game winner, former Cy Young uh, nominee, you know, We'll have to see how it does for Detroit. I don't think Rodriguez is going to turn that team around completely, but it's a great move by Detroit. It's going to be tough to see how the Red Sox sort of replace that because, you know, it's probably going to be more from Tanner Howe, you know, more from Chris Sale, Evaldi. You know, again, like I said, looking for that fifth starter. Now you kind of have to look for two starters. You know, pitching is the ultimate question for this Red Sox team. And with the starting... With the starting market the way that it is, there's not a lot of options out there. So we'll have to see what the Red Sox do in free agency. But again, these signings could all happen and the MLB season might not even happen unless they come to agreements on a CBA. But that's a story for another time. In the city of Boston, there's action all around. And these teams are going to do their best to represent the city of Boston.
Lastly, to end our show, as we always do, we look at our LOL moment of the week. Now, this one's got two notes on it. Number one, it's a head scratcher. And number two, I'm not sure who pinpoint to, to give it to if there's one specific, you know, area. So I'm just this is sort of a broad sort of moment who it's going to, you know, so it's it's hard. It's hard to explain, but I'll just get right into it. This week's LOL moment of the week goes to. The city of Los Angeles. Now, I don't know who specifically runs the Staples Center, but the legendary arena is getting an odd and not really refreshing name. The Staples Center, which has been a staple since 1999, will now become Crypto.com Arena starting on Christmas. Crypto.com Arena. I mean, that just doesn't flow as well. And you also got to remember, you know, this is the city of Los Angeles, okay? The Staples Center is historic for not just Lakers or Clippers or Kings, you know, or the Sparks or something like that. We're talking the Grammys have been held there. You've had legendary memorials, Michael Jackson, Nipsey Hussle, Kobe Bryant, okay? This is a legendary arena, okay? And ultimately, it's the house that Kobe built, all right? Kobe and Shaquille O'Neal made the Staples Center essentially what it is today. And again, it just doesn't flow. I mean, you look at, you know, the when they have uh, camera shots during like Lakers or Clippers games, and, you know, you see the red sign that says Staples Center. Now you're going to see crypto.com arena. Okay. Those are just things that flow. You know, I compare it to like, you know, when the Boston garden became the TD garden, they started with TD bank North garden. Then it went to TD garden. You know, that just flows that flows, but everyone will call it the garden regardless. Okay. Similar to in New York, Madison square garden. They're not worried about promotional or stuff like that again similar to john henry and the family sports group from a business standpoint it makes sense because you're getting all this money but from an outsider's perspective you know if you're a fan looking at this you know if you're going to a concert saying like oh we're gonna go to a concert at crypto.com arena that doesn't flow as well as the staples center okay it doesn't it doesn't. And I know Staples is a, is a dying company or stuff like that. But still, they make enough money to at least have a, a, a arena be named, you know, after them. you know, you know, for the Clippers, I guess it's not going to worry because they're going to move out of there in a few years. But this just I don't like it. I don't like it. OK, when you hear about legendary moments, you know, again, that I mentioned about Grammys and stuff like that outside of sports. You know, Staples Center is synonymous with Los Angeles. The minute you say Staples Center, most people in America will say, oh, that's in Los Angeles. That's where the Lakers play. OK, and it's starting so soon. It's starting on Christmas. OK, can't be like the Cleveland Indians who are now the Guardians, you know, give us a year or so to sort of adjust to it or, or stuff like that. <laughs> it. I don't like it. I don't like it. And I don't know who exactly I'm giving this moment to. So I'm just giving it to the city of Los Angeles, the business people at the Staples Center. Okay. Cause it's always going to be, it's always going to be the Staples Center to me. So everyone who I just mentioned, whether you're in the city of LA, part of the Staples Center organization, the fact that you want to rename this legendary arena, 
after a cryptocurrency has landed yourselves into this week's LOL moment of the week. So that'll do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, we've got a Thanksgiving episode coming out on Thursday. Thanksgiving. Keep your eyes out for that. And again, make sure you follow our pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.